You're listening to Pastor Jesse Miller of City Lights Church. 1 Corinthians, we're in chapter 15, and we've been talking about how we got through all these major issues in the church. And then 15 starts off with talking about, but... Let's go back to the beginning, the basis of everything that we believe. The basis of everything is Christ and his forgiveness through the blood he shed on the cross. And if the resurrection didn't happen, everything we believe is just a waste of time, right? We talked about this over the last few weeks. And we're going to kind of pick up there. So last week we talked about the resurrection and how Christ is the first fruit of what's to come for us. And these next few verses, the next, uh, this week and next week, we're going to talk a little bit more about what the resurrection means for us and what it will look like for us in the future. Um, I'm excited about this. So first, uh, first Corinthians chapter 15, verse 35, we're going to start there. But someone will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come? You foolish person, what you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And what you sow was not the body, is not the body that is to be, but the, a bare kernel, perhaps of wheat or of some other grain. But God gives it a body as he has chosen, and to each kind of seed its own body. For not all flesh is the same, but there is one kind for humans, and another for animals, and another for birds, and another for fish. There are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies. But the glory of the heavenly is of one kind, and the glory of the earthly is of another. There is one glory of the sun, and another glory of the moon, and another glory of all the stars, for, for star differs from star in glory. So it is with the resurrection of the dead. We'll stop there. So they've come to this point in our discussion where people are questioning the fact that there's a resurrection. And in their community, you have Christians who have believed in Christ as the way of life for them, forgiveness. And because they're forgiven, because they have grace, they start doing all these ridiculous things, including sinning a lot or being really religious, one of the two. And Paul realigns all that. And then there's people in that community, in that culture, who are saying resurrection can't happen. It doesn't exist. It will never happen. And Paul reminds them, if it doesn't happen, if it never has happened, if Christ didn't raise from the dead, then we have nothing to look forward to, and our entire faith is in vain. And then, so they accept that fact, and Paul knows what their next thought is going to be. He says, some of you are going to say, what's that body going to look like? If I raise from the dead, if, if I come back in the future, once I die, if I'm raised in Christ and I get a new life, what's my body going to look like? How is that going to happen? What is the process for this? Will God come out of a cloud and breathe into me? Like what is, you guys, that's how we think, right, as people. When somebody tells us something's going to happen, we want to know how. And Paul says, you are missing the point. You are asking a foolish question. I already know that now that you know that the resurrection will happen, you guys are trying to figure out what it's going to look like and how it's going to take place so you can get your life in line and you can make sure that you know everything. What's, what's the number one issue in Corinth? They're in mind. They love to be the wisest, smartest people in the world. And so now they're thinking, oh, we're going to raise again? I got to have the details. I got to have facts. That way I can tell people that I have the facts. And then I will look good, right? And Paul says, when you get to that, yourself in that place, you're missing, you're missing the excitement of what's about to happen, right? In Matthew chapter 19, I want you to see this. this. This is not something that's new to people. This is not something that's new to humanity, right? We always, when we're given spiritual truth, we see not through the spiritual so often. We see with our physical or with our logic or with our intellect and not with the spiritual lens. In Matthew chapter 19, we, say that, we see this. And Jesus said to his disciples, this is verse 23, 
Truly, I say to you, only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. And again, I tell you, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished, saying, Who then can be saved? But Jesus looked at them and said, With man, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. And then Peter said in reply, See, we have left everything and followed you. What then will we have? And Jesus said, Truly, I say to you, in the new world, when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, you will have followed me and will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone who has, has left houses or brothers or sisters or fathers or mothers or children or lands, for my name's sake, will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. But many who are the first will be last and the last first. What's happening there is they, he, they, there's this rich man. Jesus says, hey, rich man, it's hard for them to go to heaven. It's hard for them to understand heavenly things because their mind is focused on their wealth, on material, right? And when the disciples hear this, they're thinking, well, if that's impossible for a man to go to heaven, then, then how will we be saved? And, and Jesus is like, you're missing the point. With man, nothing's possible. With God, everything's possible. And so basically what Jesus says, you're, you're missing the fact that God does whatever God wants to do. God can do anything. Why are you trying to look out how it's going to work out for you or for the rich man? If it's, I'm telling you it's difficult. I'm not telling you it's impossible. I'm telling you God does what God wants to do because he's God. And so their response is, okay, so if we follow you, then what will we have? And, and Jesus is probably, I'm sure there's a little bit of frustration, but yet he says it in love. He's like, you're missing the point if you've sacrificed everything here and now. I'm giving you something better. I'm giving you tenfold. There's, what are you even thinking about the things you sacrifice now for? Something better is coming. And so here we are in Corinthians, and Paul says to them, hey, there's resurrection life coming for you, and they're trying to find out the physical details and all the facts. When there's something better that we need to realize only God can do because he's God. Don't worry about the facts. Don't worry about what your body's going to look like or how it's going to happen. Just know that it will because God's God, right? Tracking with me? In Matthew chapter 22, if we can get this on the slide there. um, Basically, the Pharisees, they try to trip Jesus up. And they throw this question out about the resurrection and the life after because they don't believe in it. And they say, you know, if a man's married and then this happens and this happens and like there's all these different husbands because they keep dying and she keeps marrying all these brothers, then who's going to be the one in heaven? And Jesus responds, verse 29, I believe it is. Matthew chapter 22, verse 29 says this, but Jesus answered, you are wrong because you know neither the scriptures nor the power of God. For in the resurrection, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like the angels in heaven. And as for the resurrection of the dead, have you not read what was said to you by God? I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but of the living. And then the crowd heard it and they were astonished. Jesus responds to their questions, trying to figure out the afterlife with this trick question about who he's married to. And Jesus says, you guys don't even understand at all. Like you guys, have you even read the Bible basically is what he says to them. Have you, do you even think spiritually right now? It's not about a man and a wife in, the, in, in heaven. That's not even the point. We're not like that. We're like the angels. He's not saying that we become angels. You know, every time a bell rings, an angel gets its wings. And we're like, we, get, we die, we go to heaven, we're waiting for somebody to ring a bell for us. That's not the point, right? The point is we become like angels, something completely different than what we are now. We are made in a different way. Make sense? Yeah. And when we focus on these what-if questions, it's, we're, we're missing 
the greater picture. We're missing the excitement of the fact that God is going to do something glorious in us because, of the resur- because the resurrection happened. God's doing something awesome. We have to focus on that. Then he talks about this image of the seed, of a kernel of some kind, and it has to die when it goes into the ground. And when it comes out, it becomes something completely different, right? So whatever you plant, when, you, when that thing raises up out of the ground, it's not like, oh, I'm happy. I have a bunch of seeds now. No, you have some kind of fruit. You have some kind of tree, right? How many of you guys have ever planted something and then watched it grow, and then your first thought is, well, what happened to the seed? Where's the seed at? Can I find a seed? And you're digging in the ground and trying to find a seed underneath your tomato plant. Has anybody ever, nobody's ever done that because you don't think about that. You think of the fact that you grew a tomato. You think of the fact that something life-giving came out of something that had to die and be split and give, give itself up, right? Paul says in the same way, when we die because of the resurrection and when he comes back, we, let's not think about what happens to our bodies, Let's think about the fact that we are given new life and God's going to do it in a way that God's going to do it. I don't understand right now. Make sense? I see no excitement. That's it. We need to think about the fruit that's to come out of this, out of in who I am. There's something different that's happening down the line for me because the resurrection of Christ happened. He was the first fruit among the brothers. He was the first fruit of us. And we know that we're going to be raised differently. Let's make sure our questions are good questions and our concerns are in the right place. Chapter uh, 15, going back to that, verse 42. So it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. What is sown in dishonor is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown in the natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. Thus it is written, the first Adam became a living being. The last Adam became life-giving spirit. But it is not the spiritual that is first, but the natural, and then the spiritual. The first man was of the earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are of the dust. And as is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. Just as we are born in the image of the man of dust, so we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. So our bodies, when they're buried in the ground, and then we see we're the first fruits because we're in Christ, that when Christ returns, we will be in him and we will be resurrected in these new bodies. All we know, we don't know what they'll look like. We don't know what they'll be made of or how he's going to how he's going to do it. What we do know in this text is what we was sown was perishable. It means it's, it decays. It's corruptible. It's vulnerable. How many of you guys are aware that you are not invulnerable? You're not like the Iron Man. You're not everlasting. You guys, I'm 30 and I am fully aware that I am a lot more prone to injury than I was 10 years ago. My knee hurts, my wrist hurts, the weather turns cold. All of a sudden, my left side of my body is like a target for disaster all of a sudden. My right side's pretty good. It's this left side that I've got something wrong in like every part. It's weird. And when the weather changes, I feel those parts. I'm 32 years old. Ridiculous, right? We are fully aware that we are not indestructible. We are people. And so this body that you and I carry, because of the curse of sin... 
still feels the effects, right? We die. It's appointed once for man to die. And then after that, judgment, right? We will die, our physical bodies, unless Christ returns and does something then, which we'll talk about later. Not today. Next week. But what was sown is perishable, but what he'll raise is imperishable. Never, never stops. Never stops living. Incorruptible. Isn't damaged. Isn't hurt. We don't need the doctors. Sorry, Kevin. We won't need you. We'll need you, but not your skills in that area. And the rest of our doctors in here. We got a lot of doctors in here. It's great. This is a good place to fall over. <laughs> we got a lot of people who will help us. God's going to do something in us that will last forever. This thing, because the cross, because the resurrection happened and it was the first fruits, God's doing something in us. He will do something in us that we will last forever. We will be imperishable, incorruptible, completely unbreakable because that's who he's going to make us to be. We know that. So when this seed, this part that we are, is broken and dies and decays and he gives life to it, we don't need to know the how or the why. We don't need to know what happens to the seed we do need to focus on the fact that he is good and he's bringing fruit that will never be damaged. Never be damaged, right? That's good. What is sown in dishonor is raised in glory. What is sown in dishonor? So, the wages of sin is death, right? But the gift of God is eternal life. So, the, the wages of sin, the result of sin is death. It's not a good thing. It's a dishonorable thing. So when we die, it's not something that we're proud of. Most people aren't like excited to die, right? Death it shows our vulnerability. It shows our weakness. It shows the result of the curse in our life. Make sense? It shows the fact that we have fallen to the curse of sin and we still live in this time where it hasn't been completely destroyed. We talked a few weeks ago about how the last enemy to be defeated when he returns is death. Death will be defeated. Death has been defeated in Christ and will be defeated in all of us when he returns. It's the final enemy against man will be defeated. But when we're sown, it's dishonorable because it still shows our brokenness, the flaws of humanity. It shows dishonor, separation from God, a perfect eternal God, us, fallen, broken man, decaying and dying. So what's sown in dishonor is raised in glory. Raised in glory. Glory is a word that's used mostly for God. But Scripture often will give that same glory word and point it to his creation, man. We can see the glory of God in his creation. We can see parts of it in his creation. And Paul here says what's sown in dishonor will be raised in glory, right? I was reading with the guys, uh, Robert and Will, uh, at the guy's house. We have a discipleship house next door. Uh, we've been reading through some books together, and we have it actually, um, our book recommendation table over there. It's called Strengthen Yourself in the Lord by Bill Johnson. And in this book, Bill Johnson points out something that I have never seen before. He says this, so many of us read the verse that says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And we focus more on the fact that we have all fallen short rather than the fact that we are all destined for glory. You and I have been created for the glory of God to manifest his glory. We are made in his image, not disgusting, dishonorable image. We were made in his image, and then we gave over to sin, and we live a life of dishonor, 
But because of Christ, we are destined and redeemed back to him, right? And one day, we will be raised again in that glory. One day, we will fully manifest the glory of God. You and I, because we are in Christ, no matter what you're doing right now, no matter what your li- how your life looks broken, how your life looks like a mess, the fact that you are hidden in Christ under his blood, you will be raised in his glory and reflect God's glory everywhere you go. Whatever that looks like. I don't know the details. I just know that's good. We have fallen short of the glory of God, but there's glory that we were made for. There's his glory that we were made for. What's sown in weakness be raised in power. That word weakness is sickness, disease, weakness, brokenness. So what was sown in sickness, what was sown in brokenness, what was sown in the inability to do anything good will be raised in the word is dunamis, right? It's dynamite. It's powerful. It's explosion. We will be raised with ability. That's really what it could be translated into. So what was sown in sickness, when, we and, when you and I go to the grave, in sickness, in old age, whatever it is, we will be raised in power and ability, the ability of the glory of the Father. No amens. That's exciting news. I'm excited about this. There's hope for me, right? Because of the resurrection of Christ. I live in a response age. I live in this in-between where he did it, he was the first fruits, and I'm waiting. This will happen to me. This will happen to us. We will be raised in power, in the ability of Christ. What's sown in the natural body is raised in the spiritual body. And I think a lot of us, what we do is we look at this verse, and we look at our English translations, and we're like, oh, so this Jesse is going to die. But you don't think Jesse, you think you. But you are going to die. And then we're going to be raised in the spiritual thing. And we'll be like ghosts, just like hovering around. And we're spiritually enlightened. And there, have you guys know what the Gnostics are? Like anything that's flesh, anything, that's, anything that feels good to the senses is wrong and bad. But the spiritually is enlightened and we're some kind of like mind thing. You guys know what I'm talking about here a little bit? Like, like somehow everything that's physical is bad and everything that's like inner and intellectual and spiritual is somehow better. That's not what this is talking about here, right? He's not saying that you'll be sown in your physical body and then come back as some kind of spiritual like hovering being. That's not what we're talking about here though. If you look at it, there's a few, I've been studying Greek and I love this because it shows me some things. So there's this word that's used in both. It's soma, which is body, right? The soma body. And he doesn't say your physical body and then spiritual something. There's still the same word, body. It's this is body. This is soma. This, this thing is soma, right? And he says your fleshly, your, your, your psyche, right, is the word. This psyche, this body that you currently have where you're thinking and, and you're ran by this psyche body. That will be gone, and what will be raised is soma. It's another. It's a long Greek word, spiritual, right? That's what it is, basically. This spiritual body, this spiritual form. What's happening here is not that we become some kind of ghost-like spiritual beings that go through walls, and we're all excited when He raises us again. We're just like hovering everywhere. You know, it's great. That's not the point. 
The point is that this thing then, whatever it looks like, is not run on the operating system of the flesh. We're ran on the operating system of the spiritual. The pneuma breath of God. The spiritual breath inside of us. So think of it this way if if you need a, a different term. Okay, so say you have a computer, right? And your computer crashes because of a virus. Let's just call it sin, right? And the best thing you can run your computer on is DOS from back in the day, right? The best game you're hoping to play on that thing is Oregon Trail, right? Or Tetris. That's the best thing you got. But when, when you are given a new one, your operating system isn't that junk anymore with all the flaws and you're slow and, and messed up and you keep breaking down and shutting down and all, all you can use is a floppy disk, right? So you're like, what is he talking about? I'm kidding. Most of you guys in here are my age. It's good. But you will be given the Mac that hasn't even come out yet. It's 2030 Mac. Completely different operating system. Make sense? You guys track with me here? It's like you had an engine, if you would, that ran on diesel, right? And you keep working on it. And it's the way you think. It's the way you work. He's saying, I'm giving you something that doesn't even run on gasoline. It runs on something that we have eternal amount of that never runs out. It doesn't hurt the earth. It has no smell. It's something that's completely incorruptible, and your engine will always, always, always last. You'll never even have to fix it. Paul is saying here to the church in Corinth, you're thinking about your bodies. You're thinking about something that's so temporary, and God's saying to you, I'm giving you something you can't even begin to grasp yet. You're, running on, you're going to be running on a whole new way that you don't even understand and I don't understand. There's something new coming for us that we don't need to figure out yet because we're not yet there. and We don't have the terms to put it all in our understanding. We're going to be running on a completely different type of engine, a completely different way of life. So it's not that this thing dies because this is bad and he's going to give us some kind of hovering spirit. He's making this thing new. We will run on a different operating system that's incorruptible, always lives, is led by the Spirit and not by the flesh. Not by a sinful nature, but by the spiritual nature. That's what we will operate in. We don't need to know how it will be completed, just the fact that it will happen. So many of us in our lives, we get stuck here, though, don't we? We get stuck on trying to figure out the hows. God gives us a promise, God gives us dreams, God gives us passions, God gives us, we we talk about the spiritual gifts, God gives us prophetic words, and we get stuck trying to figure out how it's going to happen. Have you ever, um, have you ever gone on vacation, and like, so say you're going to Disney World or something like that. And you're driving there, and you see that first sign that says Disney World, right? And then every corner you go around, you're just waiting to see if it's there. Like, is it there? Is it there? Uh, is it, it's going to be there. No, it's not there. That was just a gas station. Some of us live this life this way, where God's got these promises for us, where we know that God's spoken things into who we are called to be. And every turn we go around, we're looking and seeing if that's it. We're trying to make it it. Maybe it's like... So some of us looking for, I remember looking for a spouse. Like I remember God, God, as a young kid, I was praying. I was like 12 years old. I was praying that God would give me the right wife, right? High school, everything. You got those, you guys remember those little things where you put the like little, your, your future? Everything becomes, you know, he loves me not. You're, you're just pulling the little, 
everything becomes a sign of what we know is coming around the corner. And in the same way, when God gives us promises in our spiritual life for who we're supposed to be, for our spiritual gifts, we're like, there's this hunger inside of us. God, do something in me. Do something with me. I know that you said this is for my life, but when are you going to do it? So everything that comes around the corner, we're like, oh, that's got to be it. That's got to be the girlfriend. No, she's crazy. That's got to be be how you're going to put this in my life. That's how you're going to give me the job. That wasn't the job I was planning on right? You guys have applied for jobs, and you're like, Jesus, if it's your will, and then we make this list of every reason why we're convincing ourselves it's got to be his will, and then it doesn't happen, we're so confused, right? I feel like we need to take this same message that the Corinthians looked at when it comes to the resurrection, trying to figure out the body, and take it to the other promises of God as well. Stop trying to figure out his promises. They're God's promises. He'll do them how he wants to do them. Just know he will. It's a spiritual thing. If God's involved, it's a spiritual thing. You can't use your physical intellect to try to figure out his spiritual ways. It's not going to happen. Why do we live that life? Why do we live in that place? Have you ever, um, I remember, some, some of us might feel the opposite. Like, not, not that it's right around the corner, but it feels like it's forever away and we don't even believe it exists anymore. Have you guys ever driven to Florida? And I haven't done this in a while. But I think it's, I think it's between South Carolina and North Carolina, I think. Or it could be South Carolina and Georgia. There's this place called South of the Border. Has anybody ever been there or seen that one I'm talking about? South of the Border is basically a big flea market. It's junk, right? <laughs> but the key thing about South of the Border, the other reason I remember it, is I remember doing this drive with my dad all the time in this tractor trailer. And for a hundred and some miles, every half mile, there's a big old sign, south of the border, just 112 more miles. South of the border, just another 100 miles. South of the border. And it's like, if I see one more south of the border sign, I'm going to freak out. And you're, the whole time you're thinking, this place is going to be epic. This place is going to blow my mind, right? And then you pull up to what's south of the border, and it's like, this is junk. <laughs> like, this is so disappointing. And I feel like some of us have been in this waiting game for God to deliver on his promises that we don't even know if it's actually there. Like, does south of the border even exist? I don't think it does. I think it's just a big joke for hundreds of miles. And then when you're like, oh, when I get there, it's going to be disappointing. It's not going to be the way I thought. Because I've been praying about this for so long. It's been in my heart so long. Something's going to disappoint me. Something's going to go wrong. Something's not going to be what I expected. And the truth is, no, it's not going to be what you expected. But it's God's way, so it's going to be better than what you expected. It's going to be beyond what you're able to think right now. I want to encourage you, as we look at this passage, and we talk about a resurrected body, that's to come. It's the good thing that we get to wait for. But at the same time, there are promises that he has given us right now. You and I have dreams, passions, callings, abilities that we've been waiting for God to release in our lives. And so some of us are in this place of disbelief and discontentment, trying to figure out, God, how are you going to do this? How are you going to make your promises happen in reality? And so what we do is we look for the natural. We look for the logical way to make that happen. And then we try to, oh, we're partnering with God and making it happen. No, you're in disbelief and you're trying to do it on your own. God's doing something. I want want to finish in Romans chapter 8. There is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. 
by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin. He condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. I'm, I'm going through this quickly, but I want you to grab what I'm saying. Who walked not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. For those who, were, who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the spirit set their minds on the things of the spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death. But to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. For it does not submit to God's laws. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If, in fact, the spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, who has, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to these mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh, For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if you live by the Spirit, you will put to death the deeds of the body, and you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received, past tense, a spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and fe- fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be, be glorified with him. You and I have the Spirit of God already inside of us, inside of these mortal bodies. These bodies will die, these bodies will be changed, but the Spirit, that new operating system, has already been started inside of us. So you and I get to live by that thing before we are resurrected in him. You and I have the option right now to not live by this thing that we dwell in, the flesh that's corruptible, that's perishable, that will be destroyed. We don't have to live with those mindsets anymore. We get to live by the Spirit of Christ, which is raised from the dead and will raise us from the dead already right now. You and I get to be a foretaste to all of Scranton, Pennsylvania, to all of North America, to all of our families, to all of our friends, to all of our coworkers, you and I get to be a foretaste of a future operating system, a future way of doing things, a future life that we are ran by, controlled by, possessed by. Make sense? How many of you guys have been that person who your friend showed you their brand new phone or their brand new whatever, their new car, and you're like, oh man, I wish I had one of those, you know, you're just doing that thing. I really need one. The other day I was at Staples, right? And, uh, and this, I'm just talking flesh right now. I'm just talking greed and all that pettiness. I'm at Staples getting those new little Connect cards printed out. The lady running the, the Staples printing area, she's got this iWatch on. I'm like, how'd she get an iWatch? <laughs> I want an iWatch. Maybe I should work at Staples. Then I get, you know what I'm talking about? Like we get, we get that way, right? Paul, we see in Scripture here, it's the same Paul, right? In Romans, says that we get to live by a future operating system to be a foretaste right now to the world around us. 
We get to demonstrate a life led by the Spirit, not by the flesh. That's why when Pastor Don was here a few weeks ago, he said, I refuse to let the way others treat me be the way that I treat them. Have any impact on that. Because it's not a person led by the flesh or the spiritual, or like, they did me wrong, so I'll do them wrong. It's somebody who's ran by the Spirit of God. That you can't hurt me. I've died to Christ. I carry my cross daily. I follow Him. The end of that verse right there. Provided we suffer with Him in order that we may be glorified with Him. It's not saying we have to go to the cross. He's already done that. Once and for all. Satisfied. But we suffer with Him with these bodies. We put away the flesh. We sacrifice the flesh. What we desire. What we think is ours. And we say, God, it's all yours. We live according to the Spirit, not according to the flesh. Make sense? That's why I'm excited to have Pastor Dan Muller come in a few weeks. Because that is his whole way of thinking. I refuse to let this thing be about my flesh, my desires, and I, ref- I promise to make this thing about his ways. See what the Spirit is saying. I only do and say as I hear the Father do, right? That's the same thing that should be in us. Because through Christ, we have been given that. It's by that Spirit that we cry out, Abba, Father. It's we recognize that this flesh has been corrupted, but the Spirit of God has become alive in us, and it's given us this taste of what's to come. This morning, church, I'm really excited. I don't have a whole lot of other notes for you. I don't have like some thing, the, like here is your recipe to success. What I do have is the fact that you are alive in Christ, you've been re- buried with Christ, and the Spirit of God is inside of you, so now we have a response to realize that to live in that revelation. That's not me who lives, but Christ in me who lives. We spend so much time and energy focusing on things that satisfy the flesh when we were created to display the glory of the Father in our flesh, not the glory of sin. There will be a day when your flesh and your spirit are realigned, made right, given new bodies so that they work together. We are currently in this day where they don't work together. So often our flesh fights our spirit. So often we fail to realize what the spirit is saying because we're listening to what the flesh is saying. And church, I want to encourage you, let that, let that not be your reality. Realize that you are a new thing in him. It will get easier. That's what I'm telling you. It will get easier, not just in this life. In the life to come, it'll be completely easier, Right? It will get easier. We live not for the self, but for the Father. Which, let me say this, because I feel like some of us are struggling with this idea. When we live for the Father, it's the ultimate pleasure for ourselves. John Piper calls this Christian hedonism. That when we live for him, it's the best reality for us. And so in a sense, living by the Spirit is the best way to truly live. It's the most satisfying way to truly live. If we read further in Romans, we'd see that everything groans, creation groans for us to realize this and for this to be made reality. Everything we see is, a, is, is an example of, of creation waiting for this, for the spirit and the flesh to be resurrected, for all things to be made right, for the resurrected Christ to come and take things under his authority, and then as we talked about a few weeks ago, letting the earth be under our authority. That's a beautiful thing. All you have to do to see this demonstrated that the earth is groaning, turn on Facebook and look at politics right now. Try to have a conversation with somebody 
right now without bringing up politics and starting a fist fight. <laughs> it's ridiculous. The whole earth groans for the sons of God to be made manifest. I don't live with the mindset that everything falls on what I see, taste, touch, the, who's in the White House, who's in the courthouses, who's in my house. I don't live by those things. What I live is by what God will do, what he is doing through me. Make sense? That's where we live. I saw a hilarious commercial the other day. I don't remember what it was for. I only saw like a second of it. And it was said about inappropriate times for political conversations. And there was like a birthday magician with a bunch of kids. And he's pulling out stuff out of his little magic hat. And a dad and him are yelling about politics. Like that's hilarious. Like that's the world that we live in, right? We find any way to fight for what's ours or what we believe is right and put our signs up. And I'm, not, I'm all for stating your beliefs. I'm all for that. But what happens is this vicious tension where we realize things aren't perfect, things aren't right, and everything is groaning for us to reveal him, to reveal his glory, his perfect nature, his incorruptibility. Like the Corinthians, we often respond to the promises of God with the wrong questions. And church, this morning, um, as we worship, as we sing about his praises ever being on our lips, I want to encourage you. Maybe, it's, maybe you are currently hanging on to a promise of God in your life and you're starting to doubt whether it's a promise of God in your life. Hang on to it. Trust him. If he said it, he said it. If, he, if he's going to do it, he's going to do it. If he's put dreams and passions in your heart, hang on to those things. Make sure they're of him, but hang on to them. Right? Everything groans and so maybe that's not you. Maybe you're like, yeah, I am fully trust God's promises for my life, but maybe we're not living by the Spirit. Maybe you have not been able to walk this thing out by the Spirit. And I want to encourage you. Part of the life as a Christian is daily dying to self. It's crucifying the flesh, bearing our crosses. And I feel like it's easy, and I'm saying this as a confession, it is easy for me to live a life where I'm not carrying much of a cross. I'm not sacrificing pride. I'm not sacrificing personal agenda. I'm not sacrificing what's rightfully mine for the sake of what's his. I'm not sacrificing my ego to declare him to the lost. Does that make sense? I'm confessing this with you, that there's something that has to happen in me where I die to self daily, and I'm asking you to join me in this, to live what's, what's supposed to come, what will come, now, we see in Romans that we can. That's, that's all I know to be true. <laughs> so let's stand, let's worship. Father, I thank you that you are a good father who, as the song says, you've clothed us in white. You're clothing us in white. You will have your bride. You will have a perfect bride the way that you originally created her. So we will be known by our true name. And our true name is not our sin. It's not the curse. It's not death. It's not corruption. It's not pride or anger, anger or, or lust. It's not any of those things. Our true name is the fact that we were made in your, your image. Our physical bodies and our spiritual bodies were created in your image. And you were going to give us new ones. So Father, let us live in that foretaste. Let us live with the spirit inside of these mortal bodies, Father. Quicken our spirits. Make them come alive. Let them be strong because you are a good father and you have poured yourself out for us. You call us the dwelling place. You, they, you call us your temple. So let us be that in the city and in our families today, Father. Jesus, be glorified in our song. Let's worship.